Hi, I'm Angela Lovell, psychic witch and best-selling author, and I'm going to try to help you save yourself and the whole damn world from ancestral karma. Welcome to Dear Witchy Poo. Dear Witchy Poo, I have a friend of Native American descent who is very much against anything Wicca because of the assimilation and mass genocide of Native Americans. She said, Wicca culture is a lie, an unnecessary branch of paganism that is incredibly offensive, racist, and wrong. I looked it up and did some research, but it's hard to find solid answers. If you have any insight, I'd love to hear it on the podcast. I'm just not sure how to keep practicing and still be her friend, or if I should keep practicing witchcraft. Westerners literally take everything from every culture, so how am I supposed to make sure I'm doing something that hasn't been appropriated? Thanks for taking the time to read this. Much love, Helena. Helena, you are a brave friend for asking a very uncomfortable question and facing whatever truths you find. This is such a vast subject and an important one, especially in this turning point of a nation that could be great if it ever clears its ancestral karma. To start, uh, and to be clear, I am a white woman. I identify as white. People see me as white. I am white. I always wanted to have a Marilyn Monroe button nose, but instead I got the softer version of what my family refers to as the Lovell nose, which I now heartily embrace and realize goes very, very far back into my ancestry after joining several online Romani groups and seeing photos. I'm sentimental about my stuff in this life and the last one. I try to embrace all the fun and freakiness that built me and I admire others who do the same. And yet, I get it. I know people who had nose jobs and feel reborn. Boob jobs too. Whatever. Be your own creator. Be whoever the fuck you want. But consider staying in your lane when it comes to cultural appropriation, especially if you're fortunate enough to be living with that sweet, easy pass of white privilege. A big step in approaching anyone's anger is finding the validity in it. So let's start there. The United States has basically never stopped trying to decimate Native Americans. The New York Times just reported unbelievable loss due to COVID within their communities. The loss of tribal elders has swelled into a cultural crisis as the pandemic has killed American Indians and Alaska Natives at nearly twice the rate of white people, deepening what critics call the deadly toll of a tattered healthcare system and generations of harm and broken promises by the U.S. government. When the virus exploded across the Navajo Nation, traditional healers who use prayer, songs, and herbs as treatments tried to protect themselves with masks and gloves. They wrapped ceremonial objects in plastic. They set hand sanitizer outside traditional Hogan dwellings, but people came seeking help with their grief or prayers for ailing relatives, and the healers got sick. Native American women are murdered and sexually assaulted at rates as high as 10 times the average in certain counties in the United States. Crimes overwhelmingly committed on tribal jurisdiction by individuals outside of the Native American communities. These crimes fall between jurisdictional cracks, leaving victims and their families without recourse. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. In order to understand the current status of Native American communities around the country, we need to understand the roots of the historical trauma that continues to plague Native people. Let's get real. Historical trauma is not about the past. It is about how the past carries into the present. 
Columbus began this unending cycle of abuse by abducting native people and hauling them to Spain as novelties for the queen or cutting off their hands if the ones left behind failed to give him gold when he returned. And it wasn't just the Spanish. Also, fuck Thanksgiving, you guys. Seriously, why are we still dicking around with that holiday? The food isn't even good. Okay, the French and British got in on coming over to rip off Native Americans as well. I don't know about your 23andMe, but mine has a lot of the oppressor's DNA in it. That's a whole lot of ancestral karmic damage that I don't want to make worse by appropriating sacred cultures and ceremonies that are not part of my lineage. But you might feel differently. Maybe you've done a past life regression and seen something that makes you feel entitled. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Instead, I'm going to lay out a lot of hard truths in this episode and ask you to find your own path to what feels right for you. No culture has ever been linear except the very first ones that were isolated. Today, most culture is a unique hybridization of multiple influences over time. It evolves as people discover things and share them with the rest of the world. But sometimes those discoveries are kept secret and sacred, or at least they're supposed to be kept that way. Do you even know why Native Americans smudge? I'll tell you more about that in a bit, but I can pretty much guarantee it's not the same reason you're doing it. I perform a lot of past life readings and I rarely see white people spend lifetimes as other ethnicities. However, I know two different gay white men who were African American women in past lives. These are two people I'm close with who know better than to speak openly about these past lives because they do not want to appear as though they're claiming to understand the plight of the black woman. And yet you can hear it in their voices when they sing from way down deep or the way their bodies change as they tell one of their favorite stories. I can see the women they once were shine through every now and then. They were both mothers to black children at a time when it was significantly more dangerous to bring such babies into this world. Not that it's improved all that much. God, I'm getting so upset already. <laughs> These two friends have never met each other, but they share big similarities. They're both exceptionally empathetic and intuitive. They're two of the most gorgeous people inside and out that I've ever known. They are both very old souls. I know for a fact every one of us establishes soul contracts before entering each life. We get to make many choices about who our parents will be and decide our biggest challenges, which are technically our best teachers in each life. We are here for this shit. We choose a theme before we come in of what we want to learn in this life. If this is the first time you're hearing this, I know it's hard to accept. I'm still working through all the reasons I chose my parents and probably always will be. And I chose one hell of a soul contract as well. Even though we all join source and become part of the same light, it is very possible that only certain souls get to inhabit certain bodies. This is something I have yet to discover in my work, but I personally have yet to see anyone of color start out as white. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It's just not something that feels true to me in my experience of seeing past lives. There is something so deep and powerful about ancestral ties, and I believe we remain connected to our ancestral lineage throughout reincarnation, at the very least until we have helped to correct our ancestral karma. I just saw a meme about this today, and I was like, oh my god, other people think this too. Anyway, years ago, the advocate asked Melissa Etheridge, what is a lesbian? Melissa replied, and I quote, the highest form of life. 
I heard that in the hierarchy of reincarnation, the lowest form is a heterosexual man. Then, as you go up the ladder, the highest reincarnation form is a lesbian. End quote. Okay, but Melissa Etheridge also basically broke up with her wife by having a box of sex toys delivered to their home for her and her new partner to use, so she might not be the best source for enlightenment. I also think it's fair to say that Melissa Etheridge is proud of who she is. She's a strong, proud lesbian. Fuck yeah. But isn't it kind of insulting to the plight of those who are not lesbians to insist you're at the top of the woo chain? She actually used the word hierarchy alongside reincarnation, which I do not believe exist together. I know souls older than me who are total asshole fuck-up bullies. People perpetuating such things about spirituality in general are a big problem because oppression is not innate, it's socially constructed. No one is reincarnated or born lesser than. That is the work of the oppressor. And I do love Melissa Etheridge. I'm just trying to make a point here. So to recap, you might feel a special calling to the magic of a certain culture. That might be because you were part of it in a past life. But then again, it might only be because it's fucking magic. So yeah, of course you want to get in on it. But trust me, you do not want to piss off the ancestors. So how do we find healthy ways to respectfully practice the spirituality of other cultures? More importantly, should we? If you're ever in Los Angeles on November 1st, I highly recommend going to Elvira Street to observe Dea de los Muertos. If you saw Coco, and you really should, it's stunning. You already know a little bit about this holiday. I actually got to see Coco before it was all colored in and finished at the Disney studio so that I could adapt it to a super special interactive children's books. It was an incredible, seriously one of the best experiences of my life. And I love that movie. That and Wally. Ugh. So, there's a huge celebration in Los Angeles to celebrate Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead. Mexican families erect gorgeous, massive altars to their departed loved ones, which are actually called ofrendas. A beautiful freaking word that I could certainly pronounce more beautifully with practice. They just, I'm not trying to appropriate cultures. That's how badly I'm saying their words in, in English. They pay homage to their departed family members and welcome them back to join them on earth for one day out of the year. And best of all, the Mexican community invites everyone in to participate in their sacred customs on this day when the veil is so thin. They'll even smudge you. Don't worry, it's with cedar, never sage, which I'm going to warn you against in just a bit. The Mexican community in Los Angeles is very welcoming to outsiders and this has always felt like such a blessing. They don't have to be. Who would blame them for being otherwise after Americans elected a president who called them rapists, caged their children, and wanted to erect a wall along our borders? Nevertheless, they are so generous with this holiday and their precious rituals. But not all cultures invite us in. A good friend of mine is a gifted shaman. She was just a regular old psychic then died and came back to life with virtually all the answers to life's mysteries. She once invited me to a secret Native American sweat lodge. You can't attend unless invited by someone connected to the chief. I was over the moon about this opportunity. I'm not going to share the instruct uh, instructions I received, but they were specific, as was the gift I was supposed to take to the chief. Well, I got my period the morning we were supposed to drive up the coast, and that's forbidden in the sweat lodge. Not for sexist reasons. They consider a person too powerful when they're menstruating. And they're damn right. 
Um, I'm dying to do a bodily fluids episode, by the way, so stay tuned. And if you don't menstruate, don't worry, your magic shifted to something else. I still haven't recovered from the disappointment of missing out on the sweat lodge. I have the utmost respect for different Native American traditions and I feel the weight of them. I would love to dabble in them, but I can feel how wrong that would be for me at this point when no one has instructed me. When I was about seven years old, I became friends with a Native American who was a tenant in my grandfather's trailer park. I don't remember which tribe he was in. I don't mean to just be calling him a Native American. Um, it was in Pennsylvania, and um, I meant to actually call some family members and ask them, but we're all having aversions to talks right now. Um, so he lived in like the nicest double wide. It was way up on the hill, had this beautiful view, had the first laser disc player I'd ever seen. And they really, really liked me. We went up there all the time with my grandfather. I was blown away. I, I mean, I'd never really hung out with someone who was like truly a Native American. And I was just a kid. Um, he made me a turquoise necklace that I still have. I had told him stories about our haunted house. And he gave me this because turquoise is a protective stone. I know there is power in Native Americans and their magic who, unlike other groups, uh, work hard to pass it along to their next generation to make sure traditions and customs stay alive. But I do not believe I am entitled to use it. Maybe if I had gotten to participate in the sweat lodge ceremony, I would have learned something as it was passed down from their ancestors. Maybe I would go on to practice it for myself, but only if I considered it a gift from the people who graciously shared it with me. And most importantly, I would ask for their permission first. I don't blame any people of color in this country for wanting to keep the white man out. I was lucky enough to get to New York City just in time to see it in all its diverse, struggling artist glory before gentrification and pervert Rudy Giuliani Disney-fied it. Oh, and Manhattan was originally called Manhattan by the tribe of Native Americans who lost it to the thieving Dutch. And then they named it Manhattan. Oh my God. I'm not going to get into the many problems of gentrification, but you should definitely do a deep dive on that if you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you might already be eye-rolling, thinking about the seemingly white people you've met who claim Native American ancestry. I've met them too, one of whom even has that Marilyn Monroe nose I coveted, and she once asked me to stop using the term spirit animal, which we'll talk about in just a bit. She is whiter than I am. My second husband was Navajo. His grandparents lived on the reservation, but he also looked white, pale skin, blue eyes. Neither of these people can leave their house unless they're slathered in sunscreen. These two have never experienced racial inequality or prejudice because they were able to pass as white, but their grandparents experienced it. They grew up hearing stories of how their ancestors were raped, murdered, and robbed by the ancestors of all the other white people surrounding them now. And even though these two people experience white privilege because of their appearance, they are being guided by ancestors who were slaughtered and robbed. This is also why it is so important to call only on your healthy ancestors when asking for help. Because we've all got baggage, the dead included. My point is ancestral ties can make a person sensitive to that history even if they're not suffering from it on the same scale as their ancestors. 
two ex-friends took a jab at me on a podcast a while back. I don't know if this podcast is ever coming out or if it did come I don't know. Anyway, one of them confessed this cruelty to me before our inevitable falling out because she assumed I'd hear the podcast and she wanted to get ahead of what she had been complacent to. It's an episode about witches and my ex-friend host asked my ex-friend witch if she thought some people call themselves witches just for the sake of the title. Then added, like certain vegans we know. And they laughed. Um, I'm the only vegan they both know. When my then witch friend told me about it, I didn't get mad. I was just surprised. I was honestly so surprised that any grown-ass people care why anybody is vegan, identifies as a witch, embraces heritage they do not physically resemble, etc. I used to love to say I'm of gypsy descent because the term gypsy paints a more classic picture than the politically correct term Romani. But the term gypsy is just like the N-word to some people of Romani descent. This word was used against them. It hurts them. And we all need to be better about not hurting each other. Gypsy, the, the term gypsy originated from the word Egyptian in the 1500s when everyone assumed all Romani people were from Egypt. The Romani's language originated from Sanskrit. Years before DNA tests, like such as 23andMe or, um, I don't know, I would love to do the one to my dog, honestly. Well, I think, anyway, (laughs) they have cat and dog ones now too. Um, But before any of these existed, I don't know, like 10 years ago, I saw a Philip Glass opera that was all in Sanskrit at the Met in New York City. My ex and I ran into friends and we all sat through the four and a half hour show together. There were a bunch of intermissions and it was so fun and you would like drink coffee and or champagne to keep you going. It was fucking, it was like a a marathon opera. So everybody I was with was super bored and I was hypnotized. I was activated. It activated something in me. And my ex was so jealous by how fired up I was writing on the subway home. He was always jealous about my writing in this life and the last. But um, for years, I had no idea why this opera had such an effect on me. Of course, my ancestors' language would do that to me. And it was one of the most incredible performances I've ever experienced in my life. I had no idea why at the time until later when I got to participate in DNA results and start, you know, really going deep into the wormholes that we all have access to. So remember, your lineage is precious. Finding your own magic is imperative. We need to give the reins to the people affected by cultural appropriation and let them lead us on how to navigate it. This also applies to all the new insight on how to navigate trans language as well. If you don't understand it, that's fine. Maybe you don't know any trans people, so educate yourself. Okay, allowing the descendants of the oppressed to lead us is karmically correct and resets the balance between all of us. It is our ancestral karma. It is our duty. America, in particular, is in need of a lot of karmic repair after four years under you-know-what. It feels like all the shadowy corners in this country have collected hateful dust bunnies for centuries, and now they're manifesting into shadow people that are straight up trying to kill us. It just feels like a big, heavy, oppressive energy. Yes, we're getting a a break, but you guys, we don't take care of our homeless, our sick, or our poor. 
That was what this country was fucking founded on. It grew too quickly and got way too big for its purchase and too fast. So universal health care, police reform, gun control, they're harder to implement because America is too damn big and overpopulated. But if you were listening to my other podcast, this is where the magic happens. You heard me talk about COVID a year before it showed up. COVID is a big deal. It is not our ancestral karma, though. It's Earth's way of shaking her fleas. But when she's done with us, managing that ancestral karma is going to be a lot easier. That is like everything that's coming for the next couple years is like cleaning this up. And you got to be part of it. Now, if you're thinking, oh, I'll just appropriate culture in the privacy of my own home so no one's getting hurt. I won't post uh, videos of myself saging on Instagram anymore. You are wrong. If you're not part of the healing, you're part of the problem. Okay, so let's get into this. No, Wicca is not the problem. There is a fine line between appropriation and appreciation. The problem is much greater than urban outfitters selling dream catchers and white women getting alm tattoos with little idea of what it means in the Hindu religion. But let me start by clarifying the difference between Wicca, witchcraft, and very basic Native American practices because, like I said, I am a white woman. Much of the Wiccan practice can be traced to fame first wave feminist, Egyptologist, anthropologist, and folklorist Margaret Murray. She wrote several books on medieval religion explaining witch cults in medieval Europe, which inspired British Wiccans to create their own covens and structure their worship of Earth around her descriptions. In 1898, she became the first female lecturer in archaeology in the United Kingdom and was also the first woman to ever unwrap a mummy in 1908. However, her writings about witchcraft came under scrutiny because she was a woman. What she did was clarify that witches were still among us, practicing magic and not eating babies or worshiping the devil. Then Wicca was officially founded in the 1940s by Gerald Gardner, who based the new religion on Margaret Murray's books and got all the credit. He is known to many as the father of witches. Don't get me started on this title. I do not believe magic requires a certain gender and it definitely don't need no daddy, but many people, myself included, feel that it keeps getting rebranded. This is where it started. This is back when it started with Gerald Gardner. Even today, look at the witch accounts you follow. Key phrase, you follow, as in you let someone else tell you how magic works. I meet so many people looking for teachers. Magic is in you and all around you. You never needed someone to teach you how to breathe and process oxygen, and you don't need magic teachers. I got a big lightning bolt about social media that I'm saving for another episode, but be careful who you follow. Again, always lean away from becoming a follower of any kind. That's how we keep getting into these messes of mob mentality and cancel culture. So, Gardner dove deep and resuscitated witchcraft at a time when it wasn't especially hip. Sound familiar? Kind of like, oh, the last few years since that last president was elected? Personally, I would love to see it stay put this time. Gardner would also get pissy about other witches who pushed the craft. Some of his writing makes it sound like he invented it, which is beyond annoying. He basically reported things that were already present. He gathered theories from a variety of sources, mostly British-based, including Freemasonry, magical orders like the Golden Dawn, and fellow occultists such as Aleister Crowley. 
Um, I am working up to do a big-ass Crowley episode with an author here. As soon as I get through the multitudes of reading material, I make up my mind once and for all how I feel about that whack job Libra. This will most likely occur after I have a full-on seance to invoke his ass. I really don't know how to talk about Crowley yet. I mean, I have lots to say, but I want to get my shit together for that. Okay. There are many more Wiccan rebranders that followed these two, especially in the 1970s when it became a huge part of the feminist movement. Wicca grew especially strong in the 1970s and 80s. Women were attracted to the female deities, yet faced with a misogynist reality after entering the religion's ranks. It wasn't until 1986 that Wicca was recognized as an official religion in the United States through the court case Detmer v. Landon. Helena, I can understand your friend's anger towards Wicca, but she is misinformed, which is not really her fault. Many of these new Wiccans are pissing off people because they're just uninformed. So, yes, most of these white women smudging on Instagram identify as Wiccans, but they don't really know what they're doing or why. Real Wicca isn't supposed to pull from Native American customs. Neo-paganism is a better blanket term for what we're seeing today with uninformed and eclectic spiritualists letting everything on fire in the spirit of good vibes and calling themselves Wiccans. Think of how many forms of Christianity there are or weird new political parties. Some people decided to pull whatever they liked and rebrand a thing that people were already doing by making minor tweaks and taking the credit. And no matter which of these labels they're using, Wiccan, Witch, Neo-Pagan, Vegan, etc. <laughs> there are a lot of influencers perpetuating terms, rituals, and even attire that culturally belong to other people who paid dearly for their traditions. You guys, I would fucking love to wear a velvet turban, but that attire belongs to someone else's culture. And when I posted a velvet turban I wanted to buy in my Instagram stories, a listener who belongs to said culture reached out to tell me why I should not appropriate it. Let's thank those people instead of combating them. She saved my ass from more ancestral ancestral karma. Ancestral? I don't know. I mean, that'd be a terrible karma too. I understand how obnoxious all of this must be to anyone who had the divine honor of being raised by real Native Americans and learning firsthand from their family members, especially when you consider the American Indian Religious Freedom Act was passed in 1978. Okay, this is when it gets so fucked up. Prior to that, many Native American ceremonies, including smudging, were illegal in certain regions of the United States. That means these people were breaking the law as they secretly passed down their traditions and worked to keep them alive. Smudging, smudging was punishable with prison in 1978, but not to white people, only to the indigenous population. Imagine your grandmother's secret pie recipe being published on the internet, a recipe she made you memorize because it's too sacred to write down. Now imagine seeing social media blow up with images of people bastardizing her pie, changing the ingredients, eating it on the wrong holidays, eating it whenever they want. Picture it being prepackaged and sold in plastic where anyone can buy it. And that is a pretty weak example, but also shows how many Americans lack roots in their ancestors spiritually. Many of our ancestors abandoned such traditions to appear more American at a time when accents and dark skin were looked down on. 
We are a nation lacking in our ancestral traditions, which could be why so many of us are so eager to borrow from others. But acts such as smudging technically belong to Native Americans, and they paid a very hefty price for them. Witchcraft, on the other hand, is independence. The biggest difference for me between Wicca and witchcraft is that Wiccans worship. Most witches do not. I dabbled in Wicca a long time ago, but it didn't feel like it was giving me power in the same way that operating as an independent witch does. Wicca is a religion. It was all organized and put in a nice little box and they pulled whatever they wanted. Witchcraft is a broader term for magical practice. Wicca's influence should not be understated though, especially considering all the Wiccan scholars. In my experience, practicing Wiccans are informed, studious, and religious in their practice. As a sloppy, rebellious, triple fire sign, I tend to go off the rails. I've never joined a coven and I probably never will. Practice your own magic alone enough though, and you'll never be scared walking from your car in the dark again. Hell, you'll learn to embrace the dark. You might even become the scariest thing in it. Witchcraft is ancient and does not fit neatly into any Instagram box. It is wildfire, but it can belong to anyone. And witchcraft is not anti-anything. It's about exploration and empowerment. It's about finding your own personal magic or experimenting with deities and being gifted their power to amplify your own. You can certainly form a coven, but here's a huge lesson I've been forced to relearn over and over just recently. You don't need other people to do what you're meant to do. My guides have basically knocked me over the head with no more partnerships and I'm finally listening. You don't need a gym buddy to work out, but I get it. It helps. But sometimes it holds you back when they can't run as fast or want to leave the gym early. I understand the accountability factor, but get in with a good deity and they'll hold your ass to the flames. A good deity can be an incredible role model and they don't even want your worship, just you honoring them. You have to find what works for you though. Wicca slash neo-paganism feels a little limiting for me personally, and even though I use many of its resources, I consider myself a plain old witch, which for me is limitless, is timeless. All the shit Wicca pulled was already there. We Witches were already doing it. To me and many others like me, Wicca is a religion. Witchcraft is freedom. Again, I am not Native American. And I'm only going to touch on some best ofs here because I'd rather not speak for another group. Here's where my research, intuition, and heart have led me. Let's start with burning stuff. Burning herbs and resin has been around since the Egyptians. Smudging, however, appears to be a predominantly Native American practice. Many people will point out that the word smudge is actually English. However, it was adapted by the Native American Crow tribe in the early 1900s for smudge pot and smudge sticks. Before they took it on, it had totally different definitions. So yeah, the term smudge as used in magic belongs to them. On top of that, smudging is not meant to be a daily ritual. Native Americans smudged at the start of major ceremonies to banish negativity and clear space. Space that they would reset and fill in with very strong intentions and rituals. Or so I've read. No one has any idea what the purpose truly is until they are honored and welcomed into such a ceremony. When I asked the older medicine woman at Dea de los Muertos if she was about to sage me because no way do I do the sage, 
She laughed at me. She said it was cedar. It was laughable to her that they'd be saging a bunch of white people. So saging your apartment after you have a bad day is not honoring or celebrating a culture. And it's probably setting you up for more bad days in the long run. I'll get to the dangers of sage in just a few. Some Native Americans just want us to stop using sage as a tool. After Sephora's witch starter kit featured a white sage smudge stick, who can blame them? Some indigenous people have suggested just calling smudging something else, like smoke cleansing. Sage farmers have assured us, though, there is no shortage of white sage, as many people suspect. I believe plant medicine is everything in this world. No exaggeration, I have dozens of supplements I take every day, from basil to dandelion to spearmint. I have, like, a fridge and a cupboard and a drawer full of stuff. I believe that plants belong to all of us. If you plant sage in your garden and want to use it in your food and medicine, well, you nurtured that plant. You're allowed to. I will say, though, sage is a hardcore herb. I recently lived in an apartment that had been saged daily for years before I got there, and it was damn near impossible to get its energy right. I had trolls, ghosts, and fairies who would not stealing, they would not stop stealing my shit and fucking with me. On top of that, it was very hard for me to feel stable or grounded. Sage removes boundaries and opens you up for psychic attacks and intruders of all kinds. It is literally spiritual bleach and removes all the intention, protection, and manifestation you implement. I wonder, though, if it had such harsh effects on my apartment and yet not on true natives whose ancestors cultivated the original plants. Is sage so harsh on the rest of us due to our ancestral karma? Oh my God, I'm thinking about Sarah Winchester. If you've never been to that, read about that. My God. I mean, God, that totally. <laughs> Sage is our um, Winchester rifle. Maybe it's because we have no idea how to use it because we didn't grow up with Native American family members teaching us. I just hope you'll consider what I'm saying here. This could be true of other herbs as well. I don't know the answer. I only know that I'm a big advocate of not fucking with sage because I've experienced this negative effects firsthand. You have your own ability to research and experiment, but I would encourage you to lead with heart and intuition. Next up, Palo Santo. The good news is it's actually not endangered either. The bad news is you might be endangering forests depending on where you're getting it. Uh, I'm linking to all kinds of good reading material in these show notes, so please read the articles and feel free to make up your own minds. The most abundant populations of Palo Santo are in Ecuador, but other regions have small populations. If you don't know where your Palo Santo is coming from, it could be from one of these tiny populations where improper harvesting could erase specific regional groups of the trees. Buying Palo Santo is potentially destroying isolated and rare populations of the trees throughout Central America and the Galapagos. And here's something that really makes my vegan heart skip a beat. You guys know I'm vegan, right? <laughs> Sorry. The New York Times reported that if you buy... Sorry, vegans. I just made a vegan joke. The New York Times reported that if you buy Palo Santo from the ethically sustainable areas, they will be less likely to put cattle farms on those spots. Bonus, many of these trees fall naturally and are not even cut down. You just have to research which ones they are. So... Buying ethically sourced Palo Santo directly from the descendants of the indigenous people who first cultivated it could actually help save the planet and its animals. You would also be putting money in the pockets of the right people. But is it cultural appropriation? Hell yes. 
My favorite spin studio in Los Angeles used to burn it before classes, and unlike Sage, I felt a healthy boost from Palo Santo. The vibes I get from Palo Santo are extremely different from the ones I get from Sage. And if you buy from the right suppliers, you are supporting businesses run by indigenous people. However, it is still smudging, which is their magic, not yours. Many of these indigenous people seem eager to share their magic, though, especially since it helps put food on their tables. So this is a gray area. Research, message with the supplier, ask questions, and search your soul. I'd suggest once you get a good rapport going with an indigenous seller, an indigenous seller, ask them how they would suggest you use their sacred tree. I mean, just to have a conversation. Do that with everybody. My God. For instance... I found someone who paints the wheel of, of Hakate on small pieces of Palo Santo wood. They're on cotton cords and you can wear them around your neck. I wear mine whenever I give readings or whenever I need a boost. It smells divine, makes me feel great, and I will never have to burn it to achieve these effects or to conjure the spirit of the great tree. I'm still not sure about po- buying Palo Santo to burn. I, I just feel really weird about burning trees. It, it, fallen ones, yes, different. Um, But I love it in the form of my necklace. My point is, it's important to come to your own peace about these things. You have a totally different lineage than I do. You have totally different karma than I do. I mean, I'm in the love and so all my karma is mostly instant except for my ancestors. Anyway, that's another episode. So, spirit animals. My God, this one's going to be okay. In my personal work, me personally, of reading clients, journeying, astral projecting, past life regression... I have moved through other worlds as a variety of animals, but the animal bodies that come most effortlessly to me are that of the wolf and blackbird. I am a wolf and I am the blackbird. My spirit is that of a wolf. My spirit is that of a blackbird. Other psychics have seen me in these forms and I believe they are my true and eternal forms. Recently, I was like, huh, maybe I should start working with Odin since he's so tight with those two animals. Maybe in an upcoming episode, I will. But it's not that these are my spirit animals. These animals are my spirit. So, I mean, that kind of is how I define spirit animals, honestly. So, the word spirit is actually derived from Anglo, French, and Latin. Esprit. Oh my God. Did you guys ever wear esprit when you were in high school? That wasn't like, oh. And that perfume, God. Esprit is the French word and spiritus, the Latin. The origin of this word means spirit, soul, courage, vigor. Native Americans had deep and meaningful relationships with the animals in their specific regions. Unlike the disgusting earth and artery choking results of factory farming today. Sorry, you guys, it's true. Indigenous people honored the animals they used for sustenance and their hides. I had a really amazing talk one time with a hunter who was fixing my mom's grandfather clock. And I mean, it like he honored what he, it was crazy. And you know, you know how I feel about this. I respected him. I mean, that's a very different talk tool. So back when Native Americans were living harmoniously with their lands, animals, plants, many tribes identified with a totem animal. You might recall how totem poles consist of certain animals stacked uh, on top of each other. I'm not going to white-splain this because I don't know all the different tribes. But totem animals primarily are when a specific animal spirit was invoked as protection or as a guide. My Native American friend who asked me to stop saying spirit animal actually asked me to replace it with the term power animal. But power animals appear to be the same as totem animals 
in what I could find in my research and in my experience with my own personal power animals, which are not a crow or wolf. They're, they're different. So to recap, for most woo types, spirit animal, uh, I and many others, consider it to be the form your soul takes to move through other worlds. No offense. I feel like I'm going to offend plenty of people with this no matter what. No offense, but I rarely see people take on the forms of animals. Some of you think you do, but I think there's a lot of work to be done until you unlock this ability. Not to get all top of the woo chain, Melissa Etheridge, aren't you? But I have done a lot of work. I've worked my ass off to see these things. And it's probably there and accessible to any of us willing to do the work. I, I totally believe it is. Do the work. See it. You'll have it. You get, you get it too. It's there for everybody. Power animals and totem animals are mostly the same thing with different names. We all have power animals. I mean, unless we're Native American, in which case then you would have a totem animal. Last night when I was working on this episode, one of my power animals manifested in the driveway and it was like way too early in the day, but the biggest raccoon I have ever seen in my life came strolling down the driveway just after sunset. I had already seen massive raccoon tracks in the backyard in this sand that is back there. Um, and like, I couldn't believe it was real. I have been blessed with some seriously marvelous power animals. A chihuahua named Tomcat guards my heart and leads me to love. A giant black queen squid leads me to victory. A winged squirrel named Penny who recently left the world of the living where she did not yet have wings, obviously, guides me to magic and healing. And I don't even know what else. I've seen her in so many readings even before she passed. Um, I, uh, I, have, I have a dragon that keeps me fireproof yet fiery and all kinds of other weird shit. And my raccoon is my work ethic animal. Raccoons are wily, creative, unstoppable, and resourceful little freaks who do their best work at night. Raccoons can access anything they want and they rarely go hungry. I wanted to binge watch American Gods and put off my podcast, but then I saw that massive raccoon coming down the driveway and I sat my ass down to work well into the night. Power animals are the greatest at keeping us safe and on track, but just like any other relationship, they have to be fostered and nurtured. A big difference in culture is that indigenous people maintained their relationships with such magic. Did I put one of my mom's rejected lean cuisine dinners out as an offering to my raccoon the following night? Hell yeah, I did. You gotta honor, you gotta honor all your deities, all your animals. I adopted a chihuahua. I mean, that was also just because it was meant to be, but I mean, it was meant to be because my power animal is a chihuahua. So I can't speak to all the different totem animals and their purposes for the many different tribes of indigenous people. But so far, they don't seem to have a problem with us using the term power animals. And just like our relationship to the plants of this world, everyone is entitled to developing relationships with animals. This is not a gift reserved only for a certain group, although I do believe some of us are more blessed in making these connections than others are. Nearly every psychic reading I ever give, I see a person's power animal. Sometimes several show up. Native Americans were outstanding at knowing the animals they shared their regions with, and it makes perfect sense that they knew about totem animals before anybody else was picking up on them. I do my damnedest to honor my planet. I believe this might be one reason why I can see these animals so easily. 
And if you do a little Googling, you'll discover the root of the problem that indigenous people have with everyone using the term spirit animal, including probably my friend who asked me to use power animal instead. I mean, this is probably her problem too, was it started in meme form. The masses made a joke of the sacred bonds of Native Americans with their magical creatures, bonds most people can't seem to form yet mock and meme form. We all saw it and we, oh, I've, I've, I probably participated. I honestly thought it was such a cliche thing. I didn't want to say it. Um, back, you guys know. Okay, you're my spirit animal. That Ikea monkey in the winter coat is my spirit animal. That seagull who steals chips out of the convenience store is my spirit animal. Bernie at the inauguration is my spirit animal. I don't think any of us meant to, but it did feel like we were mocking Native Americans' relationships to the animals they've worked so hard their entire existence to use and to to celebrate i truly believe in the magic and power of the animals and plants on this planet just because you were born white doesn't mean you can't tap into these resources but i do believe you have to earn it grow and nurture your own herbs the only smoke sticks i use these days are the one i make from penny my power squirrel cedar tree and the herbs i grow in my garden i want an honest relationship with animal magic and I have taken the measures to I think really accomplish this you know I mean if you want it too the things I would suggest and and again like yeah I'm pushing this gen agenda but I I've seen the the freaking um validity and strength in it you know don't eat animals to go v I mean they dairy you guys oh and people god oh there's so much factory farming oh it's killing your planet too which is you know attacking all of us right now let's make her happy you want to eat eggs rescue some chickens and care for them yourself better yet just try um what's called just the new vegan egg replacer sadly there are no human eggs because 100 percent of the egg farms throw their male chicks into incinerators the moment they hatch males don't turn a profit the whole free roaming thing is just smoke and mirrors to distract from the fact that they're murdering millions of fuzzy baby chicks every day. You can Google this. It's true. This is the real problem that most of us have with eggs. I'm not going to force any of my own stuff down your throats. That's something most vegetarians don't even know actually about eggs, which is mind-blowing. Um, but these like organic, humanely killing farms don't exist. So I can see your power animals. If you want to see power animals too, I would suggest this path. I mean – I obviously have no problem with what the Native Americans were doing with, with their animals. You have to eat. The, the farmer who repaired the grandfather clock I talked to, I'm going to talk about that someday. Um, and I don't want to piss off vegans. I just think that there was a time and place to eat animals. But we are healthier. My brother just crossed over to plant-based. My God, I'm so over the moon about it. Um, because of heart problems or, you know, just fears, I guess, really. But, um, you know, heart health matters and it'll make a difference. I'm so sorry. I'm like babbling because I don't want to piss off vegans or piss off non-vegans. And um, there's no way around. I'm going to piss somebody off for sure. Anyway, you guys, it's always better to be informed. And no matter what, please don't wear Dreamcatcher earrings from Urban Outfitters. And don't shop there at all. Urban Outfitters and Anthropology donate huge amounts of money to anti-LGBT plus candidates as well as straight up steal from Etsy artists. Just don't go in there buy secondhand is always good I know I'm really giving you a lot of stuff but this is ancestral karma stuff the solution um to you know like coveting the stuff the the wanting stuff in urban outfitters and anthropology just 
find it on Poshmark or eBay. Just go buy it secondhand because then your money goes back into our economy, saves the planet, and saves our karma by buying secondhand and not um, sending the money to child abuse in China. I mean, that's a lot. I know. I'm sorry. Anyway, I did. This is actually a story I want to tell you guys. I recently donated a gorgeous red silk Chinese dress I'd had for years. A, a white friend of mine said it looked like a geisha girl dress, which is actually Japanese culture. It was very embarrassing for her. Um, and that I I would look like an asshole if I wore it out. Then my Japanese friend said me wearing the dress was a way to celebrate Asian culture. And I loved that because that's exactly what it felt like I was doing, celebrating a beautiful artistic creation from another land. But I kept remembering all the dumbass white girls dressed as geishas for Halloween and I never wanted to remind anyone else of that by wearing the dress. This was my personal reckoning. And getting rid of that dress felt right for me. But maybe maybe people who make these dresses like real, the, the actual Chinese people, you know, God, I don't know. In, in LA, I'm not saying in China where you're not, where you're giving money seven cents an hour or whatever to children who are jumping off roofs because they don't want to make iPhones. That, that is actually happening. Um, but search your heart. Search your own heart. There, this, this stuff for me is for me. I'm just sharing it to give you examples. There is a fine line between celebration and cultural appropriation. Look at Alec Baldwin's wife and her decade-long grift of telling people she grew up in Spain. She has zero Spanish ancestry, yet faked an accent. Look at all the people who've been coming here since America was built, trying to hide their accents and assimilate. Until you've toured El Sine, you have no idea what this country was built on. Oh my God, I miss New York so much lately. I just want to recharge among all the people so badly. All you extroverts know what I'm talking about. My mom was obsessed with Ellis Island. We visited it and the Statue of Liberty nearly every time she visited me in the 16 years I lived in New York City. Once we were getting on the boat and a young man in his 20s was separated from his parents. He ended up on the boat with us and his parents on the dock as we departed. They were from India and his parents spoke no English. My mom let him use her phone to call his parents, a call to an India number no less. He was so panicked and scared. He told him to wait on the dock and he rode back with the boat after it dropped us, which felt like it took forever. We were so charged by his fear and the energy and ghosts that still linger on Ellis Island. We bawled for nearly an hour, just wandering the halls and thinking about all the people who never saw their loved ones again, or worse, who died just trying to get a better life for themselves. America wanted to be the ultimate dream maker. It still tries to offer up that promise. But what this country did to its natives scarred us all. And when there were no more natives to abuse, they shipped slaves over and did the most imaginable, unimaginable things to them. And don't get me started on the Civil War. Poverty-stricken boys in the South would rather fight to keep slaves than get paid to work the fields themselves? What? I know many of them were forced to fight, but the rich wanted to get richer instead of creating jobs and empowering people with work. Hello, China. Hello, children in China. Yeah, now we let children make garbage in China for pennies a day. Sleep on floors, starve, work in their little bodies raw. How are we still okay with this? It's something I still have to work on. Like, you have to look at labels. You have to... God, I do prefer buying uh, secondhand, though. That's always been my way. But right there, that is keeping the ancestral karma meter in the red. Now we're just 
outsourcing it. We're just wrecking it remotely. We're remecking it. I have, I've tried to trace my lineage from my last lifetime to see if there's any crossover in that dead body and my current living one. I'm fascinated by past lives and certain guides I can see and feel yet not explain. I mean, I'm going to talk about this in secrets because it's not something I want everybody to know. I know we are all connected on the other side. You probably know that too. So it could be easy to say we're all part of source. I'm entitled to use whatever I want in my practice. But we come here to be divided, to have bodies and boundaries. And I really think it's high time everyone starts taking stock of their entitlement. Not as a collective though, as individuals. Bottom line is, this world has so much freaking magic to offer. I believe different herbs resonate and work differently for each of us. Maybe that is because only certain descendants of certain ancestors are meant to work for them or with them. I mean, like, I don't have all the answers. I can only find the answers that work for me. And I encourage you to dig deep and do the same. But don't just throw your hands up and say you don't know because the answers are out there. And you have a computer in your phone thanks to the children in China you can google anything so individualism is brave and it isn't easy mob mentality will always be seeking witches to burn and cultures to destroy don't forget all the witch trials witches suffered similar fates to native americans on a significantly smaller scale they still do though today in some african countries people have a people like over there when they're accused of witchcraft they are brutally murdered i have a google alert for certain things to share on my social media i can't stand how many news stories i have to filter through of people being accused of witchcraft in these african countries and the things that they do to them i mean give that a google too um unlike native americans anyone can call themselves a witch but burning shit does not a witch make a real witch has a bond with earth, the plants, and the animals. A real witch finds their own power and path. Take your cues on how to navigate cultural appropriation from the different groups that cultivated a rich history of caring for the planet and each other. Not the white people creating echo chambers because they want to appear woke, but are just repeating what someone on social said for them. Listen to people who are living it. Do your research and think for yourself. Ask the right people questions and sit the fuck down and listen to their answers. Do your homework. The best way to defeat a mob is to prevent one from forming. Be an individual. Find your own fucking magic. So, I recently bundled some plants I nurtured, including cedar from Penny's Fairy Protected Tree, marigolds, which is a plant that resonates with me on a very deep level, um, the basil, uh, the flowers had fueled thousands of bees and uh, lavender that I charged on my altar with Hakate energy. And I also had roses that were cultivated over a hundred years ago. And um, the same year that they made, invented these roses, I, I don't understand how this works. I have a friend who does this. He actually crossed two orchids and named the baby after me. I, was, I don't think I've ever seen it. Anyway, um, the year that this particular rose bush was cultivated over 100 years ago was the same year uh, an important channel and guide to my family was born. So these roses are powerful to me. 
I used no sage in these bundles. All of these plants I raised from seeds or seedlings. I thoughtfully wrapped the trimmings together ceremoniously with certain people in mind. I got major lightning bolts of info about the purpose for each combo as I bundled them. One of these I was told to make for someone I hadn't even met yet. I mailed these bundles to loved ones and have specific instructions on how they should be used. These are not to be burned casually to brighten energy. They are meant to be used in hardcore rituals only and hidden away when people visit the home. These are tools, not scented candles or mere incense. The bundles were so beautiful when I first assembled them that I considered posting a photo to social. But my guide slapped that idea down. Your practice should not be about the documentation. I'll talk more about that in an upcoming episode. But we're heading over a cliff overlooking a fiery garbage dump when it comes to social media. There's a reason Instagram is not flooded with videos of Native Americans smudging or performing rituals. That stuff is sacred. And if you're not holding a sacred space for it, then I'm sorry to tell you your magic is going to be weak. All of this is still kind of a new discussion and we need more voices of color in it. People don't know how to talk about it. I sure as hell did not want to do this episode. And before you come for me, please note that I read, wrote, and meditated on this for over 40 hours. It took me over two weeks to put this together and to feel, I still feel that there's like a whole lifetime of knowledge I'll never be able to tap into about all of this, about where it's going and what we should actually be paying attention to. I, I'm only giving you guys bare bones here and this is super long. So my goal was accuracy, but I'm just another human trying their best. Please don't take it from me. Do your own reading, ask questions, explore and meditate. I really just want to get the conversation started and give it the validity it deserves. To summarize a very long episode, think for yourself while healing the ancestral karma of the collective. You and the collective, but singular, but separate. If you like what I'm doing, please consider becoming a patron. The link is in show notes where I'll be discussing all of this further. Uh, God, there's so much. I mean, forever. Well, let's just let's just discuss this forever. I'll also be deciphering Nostradamus's 2021 apocalypse predictions. You know, saving the juicy stuff for Patreon. Um, there's some shit coming. 2021. <laughs> oh, guys, it's fine. I'm I'm not gonna be like a Debbie Downer here, but eh, eh, and then maybe I should just stop talking. Okay. Visit witchypoo.com for details about how to send your letters, how to blast your third eye open with my psychic development masterclass. Um, check out my new project, stregzy.com. We're seeking psychics, tarot readers, yogas, 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 yogis, yoga instructors, pretty much all spiritualists with a service to offer. And you can sell your witchy wares through our marketplace. Visit stregzy.com to learn more. Um, and I just want to read one of my favorite new reviews. Thank you to everyone who's been writing them. I cannot believe this podcast is like ranking really well. Um, I don't know how to do these things. I'm just really, I keep wanting to quit it. I really do. I keep wanting to quit it. My guides and my fucking giant raccoon will maul me if I try that yet. Maybe I don't have to do it forever. We'll find out. Can't wait to find out. Do, 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 2021. Okay, this, this review. Eddie DeTropa. Eddie, I don't know how to say your last name, but I think it's Deatropa. Anyway, I love Eddie. I actually know who this is. What a storyteller. My personal favorite thing about Angela's podcasts is the firsthand storytelling. 
It's so intimate, personal, and amazing. If you're an intuitive or psychic individual and need someone to validate your experiences and teach you a thing or 20, this is a great stop for you. Honestly, I can re-listen to her stories over and over. So fun. Thank you, Eddie. I love you. Thanks to all of you who are leading with an open heart and mind and for really listening to each other, especially right now. Until next time, keep living a life that's worth burning for.